0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. So I'm going to read to you out of James chapter 4 and verse 1. Here's what it says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then he answers his own question because he really knows the answer. He says, is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. Now, that word passions, the root word of that, in the original language, it means pleasure. It means what you really wanna do. It means that you might have things that you say you're passionate about, you know, but maybe there is something embedded deep in who you are and you have some hidden pleasures, or hidden passions, or hidden stuff that's inside of you, and that is at war with you. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. That's a little extreme, isn't it? But it's in there. It says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When... um. When Sarah and I go out for dinner, and we like to do this, we have a date night every Thursday night. How good is that? And so um, we go out every Thursday night. We always try to go out for dinner. Because how many of you know you have a much better conversation when you go out for dinner than if you sit at home? Because then it's dinner on the couch watching Netflix. So we said, we're not going to do that. We, we go out for dinner. Let's have an... Let, let's communicate, you know? Let's do it. So we, we go out for dinner. And um, I live with this... Um, I don't want to say it's a fear, but you know, that the kitchen could be backed up. So as soon as the person comes over to take my meal, I want to give them that order. I want to give them that order as soon as I can, because I don't know how long I'm going to have to wait to eat, and I like to eat. Sarah doesn't share that um, same uh, concern that I have. She wants to peruse the menu. She wants to look around at it, you know. It's actually been a real blessing that she became vegan, because her options are severely limited. (laughs) So now... She's just got maybe one or two options, and she'll still send the waiter away and say, can we have five minutes? You know, And, and, and so you know, do you know the thing is about when a waiter comes to you and they say, would you like another few minutes? It's never another few minutes. You don't know when you're going to see that person again. So for me, I, like, I want to eat as soon as I can. She likes to take the time to make the decision, and, and I think it's, sort of in part, because she doesn't want to order the wrong meal, it's nothing worse than going out for dinner and getting food envy, if you know what I'm talking about. See something that someone else ordered, wish I had had that. Well, she never wants to have that, so she takes her time to make a decision. The worst part is when you just can't make one. You know, you're umming and ahhing. Have you ever done that? Like when the waiters come back and you're like, can we have another five minutes, you know? They think that you're only there to drink the water and leave. So so anyway, uh, you know it's, it's bad when you can't make a decision. I used to struggle terribly with this when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I really struggled to make decisions. I didn't want to make the wrong decision, so sometimes I would just even not make one. But it's a horrible place to be when you want to make either two decisions at the same time. They're in different directions. Here's one thing that I know is absolutely true. You can't walk down two roads. You can only walk down one. You can't walk down two roads. African Proverbs says, man who walks in two directions shall split his pants. And it makes sense. Should I do it with an African accent? I don't know if I can. Man who walk in two directions will split his pants. Was that okay? I heard a yes, i received that, I'll receive it anyway. Some of you are shaking your heads, that's all right. Anyway, the thing is, is that you, can't, you can only go in one direction, you can't walk in two directions, you can't do that at the same time. And you know what James says? James says a lot of Christian people are trying to do this. Isn't that crazy? It's like practically you understand that you couldn't walk in two directions but spiritually you might try to do it. And he says, Christian people do this. Maybe you're doing it too. If that's you and you're here today, don't feel judged, don't feel alone, because you have support. There are so many people that would be sitting in this room today right now that would honestly say that I feel pulled in one direction, but I know I'm taking another. And you know, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle wrote about it himself. He said, you know, I do not do the thing that I want to do. The thing that I want to do, I seem to be incapable of doing it, and I'm stuck. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? But thanks be to the grace of our God. You know, he, he says, I want to do the right thing, and yet I perpetually find myself not doing it. And the question that I have for you today would be this. If you knew that you were doing the wrong thing, If you knew that you were going the wrong direction, headed the wrong way, why would you keep going that direction? If you knew you had an issue, If you knew you had a secret addiction, if you knew you had a vice, if you knew that there was something in your life that wasn't supposed to be there, why would you keep going after it? And James is very helpful, and he says, I know your problem. I know your problem. I know why you guys are fighting and bickering in-house And then he says it so simply, he says, there is a war that's going on on the inside of you. And what we're starting to see is your passions beginning to emerge. And they're coming out and we're seeing the things that you really want, the things that would really honestly give you pleasure. And we're seeing that emerge. He's saying, you know what? At it might be a church that you come and you put on your mask and you put on your happy face or whatever it is, but really, if you, we hang around long enough, we'll start to see the things that you really care about begin to emerge. And if you're here today and you're new to church, I want to explain, explain some, what I, I think would be some very basic theology. So let me begin with the gospel because it really is all around the gospel, If we were to be honest today, the truth is every single one of us has made mistakes. Quite simply, the Bible says that that mistake is sin. Sin separates us from God. And the only way to not sin is to be perfect. Now the thing is, we are not perfect, and I don't have to convince you of this because even if you're not sure what you believe, you already know that you're not perfect. So what happened is God sent Jesus because he was the only one that could be perfect. And he came and he lived a perfect life and then he made a beautiful exchange. He exchanged his perfect life for our sinful one. Metaphorically speaking, as he hung there on the cross with the sin of the world on his shoulders... He took the punishment that was due to us. He took it on the cross. Now, I know that that happened 2,000 years ago. But if by faith you believe that this message is true, that even though you mess things up today, your forgiveness from God comes through what Christ did 2,000 years ago. I love that it's in history. We don't have to wait for it to happen. This offer is for everyone. Anybody that wants to be forgiven from God, for all of the things that they've done wrong, simply need to ask Jesus into their heart. In fact, the Bible puts it quite simply this way. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And when I say the word saved, what that really means is you have a relationship with God. And now when he looks at you, he doesn't see all of your guilt and all of your sin and all of your shame. He sees something completely different. And he sees the perfect life that Christ lived on you. We use a word for that in church. It's called justification. And it means you wear, kind of like this jacket maybe, you wear the righteousness of Christ. Here's where that gets really good. Every time you've messed up, because you are continually being forgiven for what you've done, You can boldly go in and see God and expect to find grace and mercy in your time of need because your sin is forever forgiven. Are you with me so far? So the Bible says that if you make this decision, what happens is you become a new creation. And it says, behold, that the new has come and the old is, well, actually, it's not always gone. It's supposed to be, but it kind of hangs around a little bit sometimes. And it hangs around in people because they say, great, I'm a Christian. And, and, and now, all of my problems are over. The Christians are laughing. So, because, here's what happened. When you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new creation. And your sin nature is meant to be crucified on the cross with Christ. Which should really mean that after this moment, there's no... Uh, desire in you to head towards things that you know are wrong. But you know the thing that um, got saved but is still something that you can struggle with is even though you gave your life to Jesus, you still have your memories. Even though you gave your life to Jesus, you still have your habits. And you still have these things that are inside of you and those memories don't get deleted they stay there and people have a way of even though they have become a new creation of going back to the life that they once knew i love the gospel message because it says that we're saved by grace but you still need to work to kick out the old habits you still need to put a little bit of work into that in fact the bible says that there needs to be a renewal of your mind So you're meant to renew your mind in what's now true for you. It would be great things like the song that we sang this morning. I know who I am in Christ. I am who he says I am. This would be great to renew your mind. You're meant to renew it, not remove it. You're meant to think through what you believe and not just ignore it. There should be a time and space where you say, "I got to get rid of the stuff that was in my life, and I know I'm forgiven, and I know I'm saved, but I can't stay here. I've got to start taking some steps towards Christ." When I first gave my life to Jesus, I remember a couple months later, I was sitting in the car, I was driving along the road, I had a CD in. That was back in the day when you had CDs. I had a CD in the car and I was listening to some music. It was a band that I liked. And as I was listening to this music, I had this habit of just, you know, singing along but not really thinking about the words. This one particular day, I was listening in for the words that I was singing. And I heard the words and I realized that these bands that I was listening to had, they hated Jesus. They hated God. And I never really picked it up before. And right then, even though I really liked the music that I was listening to, I stopped that CD immediately because I had found something better than what I had before. What I did is when I got home, and this might sound a little dramatic, maybe that's just me, maybe I'm dramatic, I don't know. But I took the CD out of my car and I broke it in half so I can't listen to it again and I'm definitely not going out to buy it. And then I went through all of my CDs and I said, well, if I've been saved and I've been set free, why would I want to come under that again? I'm going to start to get rid of all the stuff that could ever lead me down the path that I don't want to go down again. And it was, it was, it was very cleansing, actually. I, I got rid of all of that stuff. The reason is, is that you don't want to leave room for what needs to be kicked out. Like, don't leave room for it. Don't allow it to be in there. Because your desires, your passions, remember, remember that word passion, it really means pleasures. What you really like has a way of emerging again. It's almost like a pathway. You know, I've seen so many people take a pathway in life. And they began over here and what they thought they'd never do here as they continue to take steps down a path that they either maybe should or shouldn't go but by the time you get to the end of that path, you, how many of you would know that you can make decisions when you're deep down that path that you never would have made at the beginning? And things that you thought were wrong back here if you were headed the wrong way. By the time you get down here, what seems unreasonable just is like your everyday life now. And you don't even feel bad about it. You don't feel guilty about it. The crazy verse that we read today that really stood out to me is that he says, you do not have, so you murder. My goodness, what's happening in this church? Isn't this crazy? Like, membership must have been so low that year. Like, I honestly think, like, they're like, hey, don't join that church, they're, they're, if that, they will kill you. No, not metaphorically, they will actually kill you. And you think, why would people who are Christian, how could anyone kill anyone? And, and this is the crazy part about it. It's just a process. It's a step down and another step down and another step down until you get to the place where what seems completely unreasonable before seems completely feasible the further you get down that track because it starts to change and transform you. Do you know what the issue was in the church, this issue that James is dealing with? You don't really struggle with this conceptually. It was a leadership challenge. Can you imagine the embarrassment for any kind of organization, political party that had so many fights in house? that they wanted to keep changing the leadership because they thought that someone else could do it better. I know it's a struggle and a stretch to get there. You would say, in today's culture and society, that would never happen, except in Australian politics, which, by the way, I'm very happy about because we have our first Pentecostal Prime Minister, praise the Lord, ScoMo. What a classic Australian thing to do! He he had a nickname the, nearly the first time I heard about the guy, Scomo. Anyway, this is the thing, and so back to the church now. There was a leadership challenge and issue, and you got people, you got people getting jealous yeah. that other people have been promoted ahead of them, and they want that leadership role, and they're not getting it. So some of them are killing to get it, like literally, this is good stuff. Don't kill me for my job. This is good. This, I like this message. But they're jealous and they want to get promoted. Here's the thing about this. This is what I've learned. This is what I've understood. God's got a plan. And it's bigger than me. And I can't be the only one here that he hasn't explained it all to I don't know everything that God's doing. What am I supposed to do? I'm just supposed to fulfill my part. I can only do what I'm supposed to do. When people get jealous because they see other people getting promoted ahead of them or, or whatever the issue is that it causes rage and jealousy to, to come up and bitter and, and I could do it better and all of these thoughts that begin to come out of people's hearts, you have gotta realize one thing, is that God arranges the members of the body And if you want promotion, even in your workplace, forget about church. If you just want promotion, it comes from the Lord. And so there's so many times in life where you you think that your opposition is the person that's got your job, where you could find yourself in opposition to God. The funny thing is, is that people have thought like this for such a long time. You know, there's this scene in the Bible. I think about it like a scene, because I imagine it happening, where Peter is on the beach with Jesus and Jesus is talking to him about things that are going to happen in the future Jesus has died and resurrected and he's hanging out on the beach now and then they see John the disciple that, Peter, that Jesus loves and Peter says hey so uh, what are you going to do with him and Jesus kind of says what do you care you just follow me What do you care what God does with somebody else? There is a grace for you and your life. There is a grace for you in the lane that you're in. And if you spend your time leaning into the lanes of other people and hoping to do what they do, you might not be able to because you don't have the grace that they have. There is a grace on your life for you to be you. So just be you. You're supposed to just follow him. See, I think it's not so much that people don't want to follow Jesus. They just don't always like where he's trying to lead them. They just want to go in a different direction. See, God's goal for you is not to keep you happy. What a disappointment that is. His goal is not to just keep you happy and keep things cool and keep things calm. You, some of you know might be rethinking if you really want to be a Christian at the end of today's service. He, here is his goal for you. His goal is sacrifice filled with kingdom purpose. That's his goal for you. It's very quiet today, isn't it? Very quiet. His goal for you is not to keep you happy. Let me read the next part. This is what it says. Chapter four, verse four, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Should we read that line one more time just so that you can make sure that you take hold of it? If you have a Bible, you might want to highlight it underline it, make a little note in the column next to it, because if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Verse 5, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? And then you'd say to yourself, well, how is he going to handle this? God, I mean. Here are these, what he says, adulterous people that want nothing to do with him. How is he going to handle it? Verse 6, But he gives more grace. And this is not salvation grace. There are different kinds of graces. I don't think that's a word. I don't care. There are different kinds of graces. This is a grace for living. This is a grace for living the life that you're supposed to be living. It says, therefore, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. Grace to enable you to live the life that he's called you to live, and he gives that to the people that are humble enough to ask for it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist. That word resist is actually like a a military term. It's a metaphor, and it means to withstand or to stand against. Stand against the devil, and he will flee from you. James says, I know your biggest problem. I know what your issue is. You come to church and you've struggled because there are two paths. you constantly, there's a tension in you and, and, and I know what your biggest problem is. You love the world and you're using God. You're using God because you love the package deal that comes with salvation. That'll be really handy 100 years from now. You love the deal that comes with salvation. But if we were going to be really honest, I mean really honest, like really honest with you today, and it was just us sitting down, there are parts of the world that you know you're not supposed to love, but your secret, secret, secret pleasure, desire, whatever it is, your vice, your addiction, whatever it is, there is something inside of you that actually does love it. Do you know James says when we get enticed, when we're tempted, we're only enticed by our own desires. See, there is something on the inside that's appealing to us that we actually do. Like, this is why you find it so difficult to be a Christian. That's why you don't really like being a Christian. That's why you struggle with it is because, to be really honest, you love more out there in the world than you do in here with God. And that's your, ch- that's your problem. That's your challenge. That's what the real issue is. Hard to put your finger on it, but it kind of makes sense. And you know, Jesus said that you can only ever have one master. You will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You say, that's crazy. No, 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 no. I would never feel like that. Wait till it comes to the time for sacrifice. Because when you understand that to follow Jesus is a life of sacrifice... And it'll never end until the day that you die. It'll be your time. It'll be your energy. It'll be your resources, whatever it is. By the time, some people, when they just realize it's, gosh, this is a lot of sacrifice. When they sold it to me at the altar, it was all about what I get. I didn't realize what I had to give. (laughs) So always saved that for the following week. Don't mention that stuff at the altar call because you might discover that to do this life that he's calling you to, it actually costs you something. You know why he says you adulterous people? He's talking about the church. And for those of you that are new to church, the church is referred to as his bride. And he says there are people that are his bride that are meant to be in love with him, but their heart is really for the pleasures out there. That's... That's why he says, you adulterous people, because you're having an affair with the world when you're meant to be committed to God. You adulterous people, he says. I think that sometimes, to be honest, you know some of the things that you are allowing in your life you know it's wrong. You know it shouldn't be there. But you haven't kicked it out and you keep making room for it because quite simply, you actually do like it. And that's a serious problem. I was chatting with Charles Birchall who runs our CAP Dent Center here. CAP is, stands for Christians Against Poverty and uh, we give people free financial coaching and counselling. And I was chatting with him, and he said that this girl came to him, and this young girl, and said, I'm in debt, I need help. And she said, "I, I want you to help me get out of all of the financial issues I'm in, but I don't want to change my life. How can you help? Well, Charles and I burst out laughing. We laughed for about, We had a good laugh. We laughed for probably about a minute about that because when you say it out loud, when you hear it, it seems ridiculous. I wanna be helped, but I refuse to change my life. I wanna be free, but I wanna keep engaging in the things that I know I'm not supposed to be engaged in. It's almost like sometimes people want enough of God to get to heaven, but not enough to change their lives. Just just a little bit. I just want enough for all of the benefits, and here's what you gotta get. You can love the world or you can love God, but you cannot love both. They are opposed to one another. They are in direct opposition to one another. And if you choose the world, there is a price attached to that. And the price attached to that, what did he say? He said it here. He said, if you are a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You're a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's the price tag attached to a desire that goes after the world. And for those of you that are new in church and you say, what do you mean the world? What are you talking about, Right? I am saying to you that there are two kingdoms on planet earth, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. You might have noticed that the way that we do life, relationships, pretty much everything in church is very different to how it happens out there in the world. It's talking about a system that will drive you further away from God because the values are so polar opposite. And you remember this, that if you started over here and what seemed completely unreasonable when you started walking down that path, by the time you get to the end, of that path, you might be capable of doing things you never thought you'd do because walking down the path changes you. So you've got to be careful about the paths that you take. He says your passions, your pleasures, they're at war with you. Can I tell you right now that the devil doesn't want you to live out your purpose It's not a stretch, is it? The devil doesn't want you to live out your purpose. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour you. Have you noticed that he devours people in the most pleasurable ways? The way that the devil devours people... It's through their desires. It's through the things that he tries to tempt them with that they know they shouldn't go after, but they struggle with. And if you keep making those decisions, you end up in a place that you don't want to be. In another place, he says, hey, You've got, to be, you've got to be wise to the devil's schemes. That's why they put it in the scriptures so that years later, generations of people following God could read this and say, all right, we see what you're up to. We see what you're doing. We see it. We get it. We're going to be wise to it. We're not going to go down like that. We're not going to make those mistakes. We're not going to get jealous. We're not going to get bitter at each other. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to get mad. We're definitely not going to murder anyone. You know, like We look at these things and we need to be wise to what's really going on so that we don't end up falling into the trap that he's trying to set it says, don't get outwitted. I reckon the, the moment that you start to go after the things that you know God doesn't love, it's the beginning of being outwitted. It's the start of a path that would be a mistake to take. James says, here's how you handle it. Here's how you've got to handle it. Let me let me read on. He says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God and draw... And, He will draw near to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's sometimes the issue, double-minded, wanting to go two directions. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What he's really saying there is you guys are so far from God and you seem to be completely unaware of it. And if you were, if you were even aware of what was really happening in that church, and, and, and if you realize what was happening in our relationships, you should be wretched. You should mourn. You should let your laughter be turned to mourning. You should let your joy be turned to gloom. But the fact that you're happy and you're joyous and, and it tells me that you don't see anything of this. He says, you need to see things as they really are. He says, come on, get real with yourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Why? Because promotion comes from the Lord. Come on. Be humble and start to get some of that grace in your life. You know, I love the gospel message because it's always a message of grace. You need the grace of God. Very vice that you have, There is a grace for that. For every sin that you struggle with, He gives all the more grace. And not to enable you to keep doing it, but grace so that you can do something about it. There is an enabling grace that God gives you to live the life that you're supposed to live. If you're in a challenging situation and it's your marriage, there is a grace for that. If you're in your workplace right now and you're like, I don't know what to do, there is a grace for that. If you are here today and there is a a medical issue that you're facing right now and you don't know how to deal with it or where the answer is going to come from, there is a grace for that. There is a grace for every season. There is a grace for every situation. What you need is the grace of God. You need His grace in every part of your life. And not just the saving grace, but the one that enables you to live. This week I took my daughter to swimming lessons. I do every Thursday morning. And in the car on the way down there, she volunteers this piece of information. She says, Dad, I know how to swim. I don't need the teacher's help anymore. Okay, so she's four. I said, really? And she said, yep, I thought that would be the end of it. So she gets into the pool and she's doing backstroke and she's got no floaty on or anything like that. And the guy that was doing the swimming lessons with her, he says, all right, now line your back and come to me. And he puts both of his hands under her back. And he starts guiding her back, but she's giving feedback. And she says, she says, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. You can let go of me. I can do this on my own. This happened a few days ago. This is Very recent story. And and he says, I think you need my help. See, the the first couple times that she said, I don't need your help. Let go of me. I can do this on my own. He was so gracious. He kept on saying, no, I, I, I don't think this is a good idea for you. He kept being gracious. Until the point that he decided to teach her a lesson. And so he said, all right, Eliana. And he removed his hands and she sank like a stone. She came up coughing and spluttering and all the rest of it. And he said, all right, come on, let me help you. She's like, all right. So she helps, right? This is the crazy part. He does. He guides her the rest of the way. She gets to the end, touches the end, looks up, sees me and says, told you I could do it. I call that living in denial. I feel like God has his hands on us. And he gives us grace when we ask for it. And we sometimes argue with him, and we do by our lives, by the lives that we live. We, uh, we think we can do it on our own. Sometimes we act like we can. It's not necessarily anything that we say. It's just what we do. It's just how we live. What we need is the grace of God. His hands are on us helping to bring us to the place that he wants to bring us. Now, here's the challenge for you today. The moment that you've been out in, let's just say the world, fine. Let's let's do better than that. The moment you have been out where you know you shouldn't be, doing things you shouldn't do, engaging in activity you know is wrong, the moment that you've been out in that, the last thing that you want to ask for is the grace of God because you have an issue in your life and we call that issue shame. shame and guilt are the things that will drive you far from the presence of God. That's why he says you need to be humble because humility will own it and say, you know something? I admit that I have done the wrong thing and I agree that I cannot now do it without you. And so I'm asking for your grace and the moment you say that the grace that you need to live your life in an instant it comes back the moment that you need him he's right there he wants to help you he wants to he wants to lead you in his grace to a better place and if you hear and you know that you tried to walk two roads you're a person that has you really struggled with your sin this is what he says, he says, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Come on, let's not make a bigger deal out of it than we need to. Just come back. Okay, so you messed up. Okay, you're in good company today. So you, so you messed things up. Fine. Come back. So you feel like you're caught in your addiction right now. Okay, fine. Come back. You've got advice that won't leave you. Okay, fine. Just come back, you know. You feel like you're full of guilt and sin and shame today. Okay, that's fine. Come back. You're here. You're so close. You're so close today. Why hold on to it anymore? Just come back. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just come back. Just be humble. Say, I'm doing it. I'm coming back. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to drown in my sin. I don't want to struggle in my sin. I don't want to drown in my shame. I don't want to just come back. And here's what I think. I think that God wants to deliver people the kind of victory where the things that you think will always be an issue for you and never a struggle? What if it was that the war was finally over and no longer did you have to wrestle to not do that stuff? But what if you didn't even want it? I call that victory. I don't even want it anymore. So it's not a temptation because there's nothing in here that it appeals to. I don't want it. When you don't even want it, it's hard for the enemy to tempt you with it. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church weekly podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.